myself out. I am afraid of I'm terrified and paralyzed by I am deathly afraid of Welcome to the Sum of All Fears podcast with your host, me, Ryan Perio. Hello and welcome to the Sum of All Fears podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Perio. This week, my guest is comedian and musician Jeffrey Eggleston. Jeffrey is a comic who started in Little Rock, moved out to L.A., became a musical comic act, and now lit, resides in Austin, Texas. Um, he has opened here at Hyenas a few times, but has now made the move to middle act or feature. And so now he's doing a little bit more time and having a little more time on stage with that guitar. In this episode, we talk to him about music and comedy and acting. And then we get into his fear of being wrong. So let's get into my interview with Jeffrey Eggleston. All right, my guest is comedian Jeffrey Eggleston. Jeffrey, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. Living the life, living the dream. <laughs> yeah, the dream has some has some reality has some reality during the days. It's it's kind of nice it, though. I mean, it, yeah, it's not always a good dream. Yes, I should specify, but uh, it is a dream. How are you like in Austin? I know you're a recent transplant oh, here. Oh man, I'm loving it, man. Uh, I love the people. Uh, I love how many stages there are. Um, I'm, I'm just getting up. I'm doing so many sets, so many more sets than I was in LA. Uh, I'm getting to get on the road cause there's so many places close to Austin. I was just mm -hmm. in San Antonio at the blind tiger last night. So yeah, I get to do hyenas. Like I'm, I'm loving it. I'm loving Texas. Oh, I'm glad you're loving it. So did you start comedy in LA? No, I started actually in little rock, Arkansas. Most people, most people don't know this. Uh, <laughs> they make all these assumptions about me. But, uh, but yeah, I started in Little Rock. So I, I was going to like the Looney Bin open mics and, uh, there's this place called the joint that I used mm -hmm. to go to all the time. Um, but yeah, I was there for like two years and then I went to LA for, for like four and now I'm here. Awesome. Well, congrats on your journey and congrats on getting the opportunities you're getting. You're doing an amazing job. You, you're a different breed. You're a musician slash comic. So you do a lot of songs and stuff, which can prevent can present its own set of challenges more than I would mean to say prevent, but present challenges. How yeah. do you, how do you go about like trying to I guess lyric and musically I guess come up with the material? Oh, uh, I mean, that's an interesting question because it's not like uh, it's not like the same at least for me every time. I know like some like songwriters say, oh, I always write the words first, or I always write the music first. I think Billy Joel is like a he's a music first guy. And he says the reason we didn't start the fire, at least he thinks it's a bad song because he wrote the words first uh, <laughs> and he didn't write the music. But for me, I don't know. It's like, I, I it'll either start with uh, an idea or a feeling. And if it's an idea, that's like, I guess a lyrical start. And if it's a feeling, that's usually more of a, more of a musical start. So um, it depends. And then I, I work out tags and, and like, um, and like punchlines, uh, you know, kind of like any other comic, maybe with a little more structure at like an open mic. You know, I can't like riff in the same way, but um, uh, it, it's it's similar enough, you know. You just gave me a, a great idea. Like if you could do crowd work musician, just be like a minstrel on stage and just do crowd work 
Like it's all just, yeah. Hey, what do you do? <laughs> just start. Yeah, I do a little bit of that. Um, there's a guy named uh, Morgan J who does like singing crowd work. If you've ever seen him, he plays a guitar and does singing crowd work, and it's it's pretty cool, man. That's, like, that's got to be super interesting because it's almost like you're the yeah. guitar guy at the party that just playing to impress people. Yeah, hopefully you you're the guitar guy who was invited to the party and not the guitar guy who like found the guitar like hidden away at the party that they didn't want anybody to play. You know. That's every hyena's green room. There is a guitar that sh- that's just there for people to riff on. It's me. Yeah. So since you're like you've got you're now moved up to I guess being a middle act here, I guess in our scene as well as I guess probably wherever you go as far as you know middling you you're doing it as an mc for a little bit but you're a middle act which i think gives you more freedom so you're not you don't have to drop the guitar for anything at this point you can go yeah for 20 25 minutes without having to worry about okay now the rest of the show i've got to be just an announcement guy and that's got to be it yeah it's uh uh i mean it feels good um I don't mind hosting. I like hosting. Um, I host a, a show. My my uh, roommate and I, Sean, we also do a show together uh, called Very Serious Club. Um, mm-hmm. We we just started producing a show in Austin, uh, and I like hosting. Um, but I guess in like in, in like a club setting, you know, versus a sh- showcase, like club setting, I like being in the middle because uh, my act is so different, and I feel like sometimes going up, like when people are there to see comedy, and like walking on stage with a guitar it kind of confuses people. And I feel like I maybe have like just kind of that extra step I need to take to get everybody on the same page for the show. You know what I mean? Yeah. So as a middle, it's more like, okay, Hey, here's something a little different. We'll get back to the more familiar stuff in a minute. You're loosened up now. Here's some, here's, here's something to enjoy rather than right out the gate. Here we are. Right. Right. Versus like walking out on stage with a guitar at a comedy show and like looking the way I look, my long hair, I look like, I'm going to like be singing about like breakups and and shit, you know? So it's like, so I have to like, you know, work my way through that sometimes with an audience. Um, I think it's, especially in comedy clubs, I've noticed, like if I go up there first, um, people are just kind of like, what's going on? Yeah. I can't imagine how your show played in Little Rock. Like, I feel like that was probably such a, such a culture shock for them. Like to like, what? Especially because they're Uh, they want country like they're like okay here comes some garth brooks or something and yeah well in that way little rock was a culture shock to me man because i i didn't grow up there um i just moved there after i i used to be an actor i mm-hmm. i worked at the children's theater there for a couple of years um so that's how i ended up there but i grew up in south dakota so moving to the south was a huge culture shock for me man like um people were I don't know what it is. I mean, Southern hospitality, like you hear a lot about that, like when you're not from here, but it's, it's so real. It's, it's actually crazy. Like the first time I went over to somebody's house, how like almost like aggressively nice they were like, no, you have the last piece of pizza. Mm-hmm. No, you have, no, that's for you. You're the guest. So, um, I, I don't know. I like it. I, I, I prefer it. I'm glad I'm back. I'm glad we're glad to have you. And so, so what inspired you to do musical comedy? Like, so when you started stand up, what, what spoke to you to say, let me do guitar and music versus just spoken word? Uh, well, I mean, in Little Rock, um, 
Well, I've gone back now, but in Little Rock, I only ever did uh, uh, regular stand-up. Okay. For, so my first two years, maybe maybe almost three years, honestly, um, were all I was I was just doing traditional stand-up, and I wanted to play the guitar, I wanted to pick it up, but I didn't want to be that guy. <laughs> I wanted to like you know I wanted to and and also like coming from a the- theatrical background. Uh, when you, when you like study acting, there's, there's a big emphasis, emphasis placed on like, uh, and this is probably any discipline, like really learn the rules and make sure you understand like the rules and the structure of something before you start defying them, before you start breaking the rules and defying structure. So I I was very conscious of that. And I stopped myself from playing the guitar for, for years. And then I, when I moved to LA, um, and started doing shows and these open mics and stuff, um, I just kind of noticed there were, there were a lot of like, uh, guys like me, just, you know, straight white dudes from the Midwest talking about their dicks. So I was like, what can I do? What do I have that these people don't have? And I was like, well, well, I've been singing my whole life. I've been, you know, making music my whole life. And I, and that's finally when I was like, okay, I have to stand out. I have to do something to stay out. Yeah. To, to stand out of this crowd. And then when I picked the guitar up and started writing the first two songs I wrote, uh, we're, we're just, they just crushed, dude. They were just killers like right away. And so I was like, there's something to this. And now it's, it's all I do. I just, I just write the funny songs. That's awesome. So when did you start in music? So what got you into music? Uh, well, I knew, I guess like very young, very young age. I was, I'd be like singing in the grocery store and stuff, like sitting in the car, singing in the grocery store or so I hear, I don't really remember any of that. That's just, you know, you have to take Mary Eggleston's word for that. But, um, I, uh, I, I always like was musical. And then in like, um, fourth or fifth grade, when they start like, like letting you be in band and stuff, I like started playing the saxophone and the cello and I didn't really like the saxophone. I liked the cello a little more, but that still wasn't quite my, quite my thing. Mm-hmm. And then I was in a music class in sixth grade and we were just doing like, you know, do re mi shit. And, um, the teacher like, you know, pulled me aside and he was like, you really need to join chorus. You really need to be in chorus. And I said, well, I'm already in band and orchestra. I, I can't do another one. He's like, you need to figure out how to be in chorus. He was like, like gravely serious. Uh, a guy named John Mogan, very, very good guy. Um, and he, so he um, basically convinced me to quit saxophone and join chorus. And then it's, when I started singing, dude, I couldn't get enough of it. I joined, my voice hadn't changed yet. I joined like a boys choir. I was an alto till I was like 16. Uh, I started taking voice lessons and then I found theater and musical theater. So I started doing that in high school and then I went to college for that. Um, so yeah, I've been singing forever and then, and it just kind of all ended up rolling into what I do now uh, as, as a standup. So what kind of monster are you on the karaoke? Like when it, when karaoke comes around, like how much of a, like Dude. when you come, when you come up, people just underestimate you because they just see scrawny white guy, long hair. Yeah. And then you just, yeah. Then I go up there and sing some fucking queen and they change their minds, man. <laughs> Do you have the vocal range of, of uh, Freddie Mercury? Oh, Oh yeah. I mean, if you want to get into the weeds, like, like, I, like I was in that boys choir, you know, like the Vienna boys choir, not yeah. that one, but, you know, choir of, of, of they're generally little boys, but yeah. I was like 15, 16 in this choir. Cause my, my voice hadn't changed yet. Um, and then when my, my voice never, like a lot of guys, I don't know how it was for you or how conscious you were of it, like growing up, but like when you're a singer, you're very conscious of voice changing. Mm-hmm. And like, we would literally like in middle school, high school, like 
a guy would be in, in class one day, he'd be like a tenor. And then he'd come to school the next day and his voice was just like bass, low, you know, a very sudden change. And that never happened to me. Um, maybe because I was singing so much, my voice never changed. It just kind of got a little bit lower, mm-hmm. just like a little bit lower. So I've been, you know, I, I sing really, I've sing very high. That's what I was like known for in college, I guess, if I was known for anything. So you're almost like Tiny Tim, like you just, you just had, you're able to keep the higher, the higher pitches where everybody else. Yeah, I don't know. Tiny Tim isn't a very flattering, uh, <laughs> flattering comparison, Ryan, but, uh, <laughs> but I guess I have to take it. I'll take it. Okay. I'll take it. I know you're, it didn't come from a place of yeah, malice. Yeah. You're a modern day Weird Al. Like you, like Weird Al Yankovic is someone from my generation that took music and yeah. comedy and I think like created such a, you know, a unique like space that now kind of everyone that does kind of comedy music kind of can stem from. But it was such a diversion yeah. back in the day to to have someone be talented musically, but then to just parody all these popular songs. And it was just he would it just it made his career from the get go. Like I remember how like, yeah. I was so young and when that came out and I was just like blown away by, you know, Eat It and all the other ones that he did. And it was just it was clever. It was well done. It wasn't you know, just a butchering of a song. It was really quality right. music. Yeah, that's what made him so good, or makes him so good, I guess, is that he he really is a good a good musician. And I mean, the problem you you see with so many, um, so many musical comedy acts is just the like either the jokes aren't very good or the music isn't very good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like to think that both both my jokes and my music are good, and I mean, I think that's why why it works. I just see so many people like half-ass the guitar, you know, they, they, they can't really play. And it's like, just tell a joke, man. Yeah. You'd, you'd be better off without that. Cause because, cause like it becomes like, if you're not like, cause when I'm on stage with my guitar, it really feels like an extension of me. You know, I feel like, okay, this is who I am. This is like my voice, you know, whatever that, that kind of cheesy stuff that, that is truly how I feel. And then I watch some people and it's either like they're hiding behind it or, or they're just not that competent with it. So it becomes this clunky thing. That's just like kind of in their way, you know? Um, and I guess, you know, those are my fears. Uh, you know, another, another, like, uh, I guess like before I picked the guitar up, like those were some of the things that, that were stopping me, like mm-hmm. those thoughts, like, Oh, I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. I have a friend that does, that was an opener that did guitar and he would do a couple of songs. He would do a few spoken word jokes and he'd pick up the guitar and he'd play a couple of, he would cover a couple of songs and make them like parody. Like he has, you know, um, can't think of the Bruce Springsteen, but he calls it, I got fired. And that was, okay. and he covered Bruce Springsteen. And he's, he's very, he's a very talented musician. Like he's one of those people that, that takes it like you are, like you take the guitar seriously mm-hmm. like that. Like he's like, right. if, if I do anything with this guitar, it is, go- I'm going to have all my chords. Everything's going to hit. I'm not going to, half-ass or not practice the guitar so he he was very passionate about music he was in a few bands and so he would write these parody songs but there's a lot of you know he has a lot of other things he'll be a guest on here for a few times because he's got quite a few fears himself that oh really but yeah he's he but he i i get where you're coming from but that you don't want that it's it's almost like an insult to your music musician side to kind of forego the talent of the guitar to just do the spoken joke 
And on the same side, it's a waste of spoken word if you're just going to play beautiful songs and not really have any kind of punchy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in like acting school and stuff, uh, my issue was always that I, I just wanted to be funny. Like I didn't, I didn't want to do like, you know, and, and that's why I'm dying of, of cancer and AIDS. Like I, that wasn't really my, uh, I just was never really interested in like playing parts like that. So those were always like the, the issues like, Oh, you're not, you know, taking this seriously enough. I was like, no, I am taking it seriously. Um, but I'm being funny. It's kind of this, uh, I don't know, not, not catch 22, but almost an oxymoron to like take, yeah take like comedy and being silly so seriously and like get like so worked up and angry about it sometimes. But, uh, uh, I don't know. I get the curse of the comedian, I suppose. Yeah. And the musician now. But, but I get that too. Like I get what you're saying is that I'm so serious about it that I'm already trying to specialize in what I do. That's how, that's how serious yeah. I am in that. Some people want to try to try to hi- type to portray feelings that they normally wouldn't be able to do on a daily. I get, I see the challenge of that. Like the, the drum, the drama, and things like that, where you know you're playing an alternative lifestyle or something else, and you're trying to bring you know justice to that by trying to put yourself in that space. And it's, I'm sure, as an actor, that's got to be a fun challenge to try to try to mimic and portray those feelings without being over the top or not authentic. And so I appreciate, I can see some of that ability and the passion in there, and it's just. I see where you're coming from, though, too, is that, hey, I am taking this seriously because I'm eliminating the things I don't want to do and already. It's almost like going to college and knowing what your degree or your major is going to be rather than to just go to college. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was always fated to be a comedian. I I kind of always knew that acting wasn't quite it. Like, Mm -hmm. I, I, I knew that I wanted to be funny and like acting was like the avenue to be funny and, you know, but like in South Dakota, like you can't act good luck doing stand up. You know, I like watch stand up my whole life, but I was like, I don't know how to, how do you, I don't know how to do that. And it was like, to me, it was like, Oh, I guess you have to be an act. You have to be like on a TV show before you could be a, a comedian or whatever. So, mm-hmm. um, once I moved to little rock and there were open mics, um, like finally like an open mic to check out, that's when it like finally clicked. I was like, Oh, this acting, this is not it. This is not it. Mm-hmm. It was like pretty much the first open mic. It was like I was injected with jet fuel. I was like, oh, this is what I've been chasing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just gave gave that acting stuff up, dude. Very accurate description. I, I've never heard it that way, but that's I, I call it like the it's the high that I'll always chase. Like I I, I want yeah. the feeling on my first time, but with the education of all the things that I've learned. And it's it's something that I can yeah. never I can't. I probably will never be able to achieve, but I'll get close to it. Like I'll brush that, that high feeling of, of the first time, but I don't think I'll ever have the, I'm still up at two in the morning after my first open mic saying, Oh my God, I can't believe I just did this. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I mean, I, my first one like didn't even go that well. And I was like, it was like a 10 minute open mic. These, these crazy people in Little Rock, there were, there were like three comedians. So the open mic was 10 minutes and they were like, yeah, normally everybody gets 10 minutes. I was like, I'll take, I'll take two. <laughs> I don't know. I guess the acting and stuff, a lot of people, like, I guess like when they're starting out, be like, yeah, give it, give mm-hmm. me 10. I'm a headliner or whatever. 
they don't even know the like the terminology but like i was like very conscious of like oh no i've been doing like three hour shakespeare plays i know how much work goes into one scene of that and here i am by myself i'll take two minutes that, that's i'll take two and then i'll just watch so they let me go first and just like eat it you know a couple chuckles or whatever but mm-hmm. uh i was i was totally hooked dude and when i met the comedians you know like the fact that there were just comedians in in little rock arkansas blew my mind man i mean they're they're even more now they're like 30 comics in little rock now but it's like i mean there were maybe 10 of us at this at this open mic and it, it was just like yeah i don't know i just feel like i just like jumped jumped into the deep end dude i i really didn't have any hesitation kind of i mean the same way i was mm-hmm. when i discovered like singing yeah. and and my and that i was like a singer and that i liked singing it was, the comedy was like the exact same thing it was like okay i do this now this is what i do now well that's awesome i i i you're the only person i know that would say you know that would you know, try to do little less than 10 like i feel like anybody would do what they yeah that they tried <laughs> to give them but it's in, I always enjoy listening to comics and stuff that come from like the theater background that talk about like because some of the stuff you're aware of other things you're not like to me I feel like when you come from a theater background you're very aware of staging you're very aware of knowing how to make yourself present your no elocution of voice oh yeah well you're you're comfortable in front of people yeah. right like that I never had to work on that as mm-hmm. a stand-up I, I mean I guess in like minor ways you know but like as far as like a base like I was not nervous in front of people. That was just not on my like, not yeah. on my like uh, work list for a while. Yeah. But they, I say the only downside is because you're so well acting is that a lot of actors and as a defense mechanism will have a character instead of, oh, ha- yeah. and there's, there's a level of authenticity to what they're saying. It's almost like it's a rehearsed and yeah, it can be hit or miss. Like you, you, you'll early on, you'll, you'll be way better, but, as you progress through the people that can actually kind of, I guess, bear their soul that kind of, yeah, those are the ones that, that go further. And it sometimes I think it's hard for a theater person to actually, I guess, almost work past all that training and acting lessons to actually be who they are instead of who they want to be. Oh, I mean, as someone who spent a lot of time around theater people, uh, them being like fake and unable to be themselves. I don't think that has anything to do with the acting lessons. It's, it's more so a <laughs> personality thing. Um, but uh, no, I hear what you're saying. You're there. There's definitely some truth to that. Like um, I've definitely seen some like, pe- more, like theatrical people who go up there and it's, it's like, uh, it's like you just hit play on a, on like a recording. Yes. You know, you hit play and they just, they, you know, do their act the same way. It's the same thing every time. Uh, and then the recording ends and they get off stage as opposed to, I don't know, someone from a non, like, uh, a non-scripted background, let's call it, who goes up there and is a little looser and maybe it does like crash and burn, but at least they're like present in the moment. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I went to a very good, I, I, I do need to give my school credit though. I went to a very good, um, acting school. It's called Mill- Millican University. It's in, uh, bumpfuck nowhere, Illinois, but it's a very good school. And especially towards the end of our um, training, as we became more focused on like, you know, here's how you're going to be a working actor. Uh, you know, you're going to be doing these auditions. We did like a year of audition technique classes. Mm-hmm. And those classes are less about like portraying a role, portraying a character and, and truly more about like, how do you present yourself? How do you like, 
how do you, you know, because when you go into a room for an acting audition for like Broadway or whatever, you're in there for like a minute, minute and a half. So these classes were like focused on like, how do you like, I don't know, wrap up your personality? How do you distill yourself mm -hmm. into like a, a very easy to understand, almost like bite size um, chunk so that when you walk into a room, people know who you are. Um, and I, I think that, you know, something that I, it's definitely something that I struggled with. Um, but I think those lessons really, like, I find myself coming back to that kind of that stuff all the time. When like I get off stage, I'm like, why didn't that feel good? Why wasn't that? I don't know. Why didn't that feel real? Yeah. You know, I was like phoning it in. What's going on? It's like, oh, you're not really being you. You're just kind of going up there and saying the words, you know, I mean, kind of like what I was saying before, when you go up there and just hit play yeah. on the soundtrack instead of, um, being in the room like being alive with the people you know yeah i'd always try to put myself in peril like i'll try to i'll i'll try different things i'll have different agendas i will i will mix it up and just try to i was like let's put myself in in a situation and see if i could work my way out of it like i've tried yeah, i like that I like to do different sets. Like I don't do my, I don't write everything out. I do it. I do a main idea and then I just kind of form the joke around it so that each time it's a little different. Like there yeah. are some things that are the same, but it's not word for word. It's not a lot. It's not a lines in a play. It's something kind of free form yeah. that can stand on its own that I don't have to pair with somebody else or segue into or segue out of. And it just kind of, I just kind of mix and match and just constantly plug and play. Yeah. Well, you gotta, you gotta change it up. You gotta like, um, make yourself uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, uh, like, I don't know whether that, whether that means like, like you said, like putting yourself in peril, like basically like handicapping yourself or something mm -hmm. before you get on stage, like, Oh, I'm not going to let myself say, um, or, you know, tonight or, or it's as bit or, or it's like, okay, I'm going to go to this room where I fucking eat shit every week and I'm going to keep going because, uh, it's like it, you know, I'm, I'm uncomfortable. And, and, uh, if you you know, when you start to get comfortable is when your act dies, I think like, you know, you, you know, some of these guys who have been doing the road for 20 years and their act hasn't changed in 10. It's like, uh, you know, they're just, they're just comfortable. They're not doing sets that, um, that, um, change it up they're not putting themselves in peril anymore they're just like kind of locked in and cruising yeah. you know and i never want to be that i was like i always just want like because no. it's gonna be fun for me like i feel like at that point like mm -hmm. what am i doing i'm doing it's a job now yeah how is that any different how is that any different than clocking into work and filling out you know the same like data sheet every day you know going into work saying the same thing every night and then going home to me it feels it's like that's that's what I'm trying not to do. I'm trying to not do the same thing every day. I'm trying to have every day be different. And so speaking of different, uh, this podcast is about fears and what people are afraid of. So you have a very interesting fear, which I think a lot of people do. Uh, go ahead and tell people what you're afraid of. Oh, uh, I, I'm afraid of slash hate slash don't tolerate being wrong. <laughs> And it's, I really don't like being wrong. Yeah. And it's such a prevalent fear now with Google and everything else that's. Yeah. Oh, Google's bad for me, man. I like look shit. I'll be like hanging out with friends and 
and say something you're like i don't think that's right i'm like oh i'll show you i'll show you <laughs> you already fact checked it before you even say yeah, it. Oh, I'm, I'm a fat dude i was fact checking way before uh fucking trump was in office okay i've been fact checking my friends that's awesome. i mean even before even before smartphones or google like i i've just always wanted to be right dude okay um yeah it's not not always a not always a great or endearing quality it can it can be I would say maybe it could be abrupt, but I it depends on where it comes from. Like how did you how did you develop this fear of being wrong? Did I don't know. I mean that's a good question, dude. You asked me that uh, like when we were setting this up, and I I honestly I I couldn't um, I I couldn't pinpoint exactly any sort of like moment. And this is funny. My mom is a therapist, so. You'd think I'd be able to do this. You know, I've been asked questions like this my entire life. Um, but yeah, I don't know that there's any specific moment. I, I'm sure some of it has to do with, um, like in school, I wasn't always, uh, well, I wasn't always, I was never popular or whatever, you know, I mean, you know, shocker. I know that's like not a story that you ever hear, but I wasn't like cool. I wasn't popular. So like a lot, you know, it came down to like, oh, I'm smarter than you. Like I know more than you, that kind of stuff. Um, so that a lot of times, like that would be like my only defense was like, you know, at least I like, you know, you know, you called me gay or whatever, but at least I know more than you, Yeah, you know? And it's like, and I guess maybe it's like, oh, but if I don't actually know more than them, then I really am just stupid and gay. Like, <laughs> like they're saying, so maybe, maybe there's some of it rooted in that dude. You know, I, yeah. I like to think that I've like, uh, moved on you know at least in like my day-to-day um from like you know stuff from i mean that's like 10 15 years ago at at this point you know high school so you know i I like to think i've moved past that mostly um but yeah that was like the most i guess like what, what formative example of like where where this comes from you know like not not wanting to be wrong and then some of it is also maybe like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an older brother. Okay. Um, and so, you know, like when you, you know, my, and my little brother, um, you know, I like to think he looks up to me, especially when he was younger, you know, so I didn't want to be like wrong in front of him. And then he's like, Oh, my cool older brother isn't cool anymore. He's, mm-hmm. he was wrong about this thing, you know? So I don't know. I guess a lot of it truthfully is just kind of rooted in like, uh, ego. Yeah. Really? Like, Truly, like, you know, like I, I generally view myself as being smarter than, than people, you know? And yeah. like, if that were to be like, if the curtain were pulled back on that and suddenly like, I'm wrong about all this stuff, then like my whole life is a lie. You know, I'm not yeah. actually smarter than everybody. So that's, that's, I think that's really what it's rooted in. It's like my own, my own ego. Yeah. And just kind of a defense, a, almost like a social defense mechanism. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, it's very defensive. Well, yeah, because you, you, like you said, people are bullying you, and it, it's if you're not smart, then that's another reason that they'll bully you, and you're trying to, yeah. you're trying to put you some, can't, you can't, yeah, put one in the win column for me, one in the win column. I'm losing yeah, everywhere yeah, I else. Can't be, I can't be gay and stupid. At least let me be gay and smart. <laughs> it's got to be. It's got to be. It's got, it, but I mean, it, it. A lot of high school bullying and stuff really makes you question. Also, early on in stand-up makes you question these same things at a later time because... Oh, yeah. 
when I was younger, I questioned all these things, but as I got older, I had these, I had these same questions doing stand up, and just you eventually just learn to accept certain things about yourself. Yeah, and through that acceptance is how you kind of embrace who you are on stage. Like I feel like that's to me finding my voice was just making peace with the fact that this is who I am and that's okay. Yeah, and being I able mean, to joke I, about I, it. I feel the same way. Yeah, I feel the same way, man, especially, and I mean, it goes back to what, you know, I think what we said, like, earlier about, like, not getting too comfortable, like, you want to be questioning yourself this way, I think, you know, you want to ask these questions, and, you know, at a certain point, I have just kind of, you know, accepted, like, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely something that I check and work on, you know, like, am conscious of, but like, you know, like, I've just kind of accepted that I got kind of a big head, and, and that, you know, I've accepted that I'm way smarter than everybody, and that was hard to do, you know, to accept that I'm, just you know genius levels above everyone around me but i you know i managed to look inside myself and, and do that <laughs> genius level but doing stand-up. genius level you know <laughs> but yeah, trying to pursue yeah. a career in genius stand-up. genius brain but not genius decisions there you go you're like there you go and i've accepted that you know <laughs> and i'm and i'm okay with my decisions you're like the wily e. coyote of life <laughs> Dude, I wish that dude's famous, dude. Yeah, people know Wiley Coyote. They don't know Jeffrey. Certified I'll genius. I'll fall, I'll fall off a couple of cliffs, dude. I'll, I'll, I'll buy some sketchy products. I don't care, dude. Whatever it takes. Yeah, that's the, that's a, that's a, meta, that's such a metaphor for comedy too. Like it's, you could be so intelligent and you'll just end up banging yourself against a wall repeatedly, where some, you yeah. know, guy does one dumb thing and he's off to the races. And he, yeah. I totally can relate. Like those were my favorite cartoons as a kid. So I've definitely. Oh, dude, I watched, I watched all that stuff on, uh, uh, on, on like cartoon network. Uh, I don't know. They would play, they played all those old, old cartoons. Like during, there was like a certain block, maybe it was like right after school. Um, but yeah, I love that stuff. Like more slapstick stuff. Like I feel like cartoons, not to digress too much, but cartoons nowadays, I sound like a fucking old man, um, are so, they're like less visual now. Like kids cartoons are like less about like the, the physical gags. And it's all just like, like the Looney Tunes revival. They're all just like talking and like making like clever jokes. I'm like, this isn't Looney Tunes. Looney Tunes is like head, head in the, you know, frying pan in the back of the head. Coyote running into a cliff that's painted like a tunnel. You know, that's, that's Looney Tunes. It's not, it's not like talking about your day. You know, going going on a trip to the Hoover Dam with Bugs Bunny, like kill it, kill yourself, dude. Waste, don't quit wasting my time. <laughs> you were not wrong about that. So there, there's one for you in the win column. Yeah, there we go. Another one, another one in my, in my win column. So how did how is that? How do you feel like that? Have you feel like you've gotten over it? You've kind of, I guess, made peace with. It. I don't think you've, you'll ever will ever truly get over some of the things that were that I guess you would call our hangups and things like that. Like you know, yeah. Yeah, for me, like hangups and like pet peeves and stuff, like um, I don't know. I I go back and forth on this between like how much can I really change and how much is that just part of me, and how much can I just work on um, keeping it in check more so? Because like with me, like uh, I mean, like out of defensiveness, like I did like early on develop this ego because because in high school I was doing theater, I was doing like these creative activities and. Um, um, so 
I don't know. Like, is that always just going to be part of me or can I like break that? And, and usually I just kind of end up in like, no, that's just, you know, that's just kind of who I am. I'll be conscious of it. But like, I'm way better than I used to be about it. And I'm sure I'll get better about like, you know, keeping myself in check. But ultimately it's like, no, that's just kind of going to be part of who I am like forever, I think. And, um, yeah, I guess, you know, if people don't want to fucking deal with that, they don't, they don't have to, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't need to be friends with everybody. I don't need everybody to think that I'm like, um, the coolest, most amazing guy who's always like so quick to tell you when he's wrong, you know? Um, I just don't need that. And I, and I feel like my close friends, like they, you know, just like I understand things about them, like they understand things about me. So, um, you know, I think finding people who understand that like, uh, you have like everyone has flaws and it's like finding people who are willing to, or able to deal with yours or keep yours in check is, is important. So yeah, usually I just kind of land on, you know, I'll keep working on it. I'll keep like being um, aware of it, but I don't, I don't think like my ego, especially as a performer and as like, I find more success in my career, I don't think that's going anywhere. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't think, I don't think my head is going to get smaller. Maybe I'll be able to keep it size relatively that it is now, but I don't think it's going to like shrink. Okay. Um, but I could, you know, I could be proven wrong. Who knows? I could turn 60 and turn into a super chill dude, but, uh, it didn't happen to my dad. So I don't, <laughs> I don't think it'll happen to me. Well, as you get older, I just think you just realize certain things. Like you're saying, like there's an acceptance yeah. level and it's, you just, you stop getting worked up over certain things. Cause it's like the more things change, the more things stay the same. And so I feel like, like I'll talk to people and it's like, it's no, it's no sense getting worked over something you can't control. All all you can yeah. control is, is yourself. And if you, if you let this get to you, then that's just something either one, if somebody has something against you can use, or you're validating somebody else that's trying to get to you that they got you. And it's like, I'll never, I never want to give somebody the satisfaction that they think they got to me. That's just how I sure I feel that for sure. And so I always just try to keep a level head. And sometimes, you know, there are things that'll, that'll frustrate me in comedy and stuff. But I also was like, we're all going for the same thing. We all can't, we can't have every single opportunity. So everybody, you know, everybody's going to have some. And so it's, you know, they've, you know, everybody's done the work, you know, that they've tried to do. And it's just some people just, get so caught up looking at what other people are getting. And it's like, but how are you, you know, that's no fun for me. I'd rather work on me and see how I can get better. Yeah, dude. Uh, I mean, that's, that's another thing I got to fucking remind myself of all the time is like, stop looking at other people. You know, I mean, it's so easy, especially like, well, especially when they're like your friends mm -hmm. or your enemies. I mean, those are like, you know, the two, like, you know, the two most charged, it's like, oh, my friend is getting that. Why am I not? Or, oh, my enemy is getting that. Why am I not? You yeah. know, you can have some of those same feelings. It's very strange. Well, and it's okay to have them, but it's not okay mm -hmm. to, I would say, dwell on them. It's okay. It's okay. To, right. It's okay to ask why not me and then just say, okay, well, I need to, I, there's something I need to still do. I need to find out what that is and, and work on that. Like, I really, yeah. I really resonated with your thing of, I'm a straight white guy in Los Angeles. Oh, you you could be straight or gay in Los Angeles as a comedian. It's like you're still you still got 
a murderer's row of people that are already killing it in that in that state yeah in that area that i'm not going to be able to just walk in and claim this niche there are already people that are above me that are doing well and succeeding so i need to find another way to stand out yeah yeah and you know i think uh it's just about like sticking with it man like I do think, I don't know if it's some, some people seem to think that it's like a certain number of years that you do comedy and you like unlock these abilities, but I really don't think so, dude. I think it's um, the metaphor that has stuck with me the most. And I've heard a few headliners have told this to me have said like, um, you know, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon and you know, we're, we're all going to finish the marathon if we keep running, but you have to keep running. Yes. You're not always going to get to the five mile mark at the same time, like we're not, we, you know, we might not get there at the same time, but, uh, if we both keep running, we will both get there, That's you it. know? So it's, it's, it's just like a persistence thing. Right. And you, and, and, uh, and with comedy, almost like an addiction thing, you just have to, you really have to stick with it. Yes. And it, it, it's just, you know, I, I just love the work too. And like I tell people that's the first year, just try to get fall in love with the monotony of open mic and the routine and, you know, writing your set list, yeah. the excitement, the joy of writing your set list and having the new jokes on paper that you're going to try for the week or however your process is and having the little, yeah. the little joys, like maybe in a room where nobody's getting laughs that, Oh, I didn't fidget or look down at the floor at one time this time I was really, yeah. you know, there, there are always little goals you can work on. It doesn't have to just be, a packed house laughing at everything you say. There's other things that are always there to work on stage presence, elocution, you know, volume, you know, stage fright, just all kinds of different, like different little goals you could have in each open mic. Yeah. Well, I think, I think you can, it's important to like learn how to fail too. You know, because I mean, early on, especially, I mean, still, I still, you know, I still bomb. I still fail. It's like you, you have to, you have to like learn how to do that. Yeah. And that, you know, um, and in some ways, you know, I, I don't want to necessarily say like, it's my goal to fail sometimes, but I mean, in, in a weird way, sometimes it kind of is, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like sometimes like I do want to fail or, or not necessarily want to, sometimes I need to fail. Sometimes I'm having a hot streak. And I'm, you know, I start thinking, you know, I start thinking, I, you know, I can't do anything wrong. You know, my fear, you know, I, oh, I can't be wrong. And then I go up there and, you know, just eat shit and, you know, big stinky bomb. And it's like, oh yeah. Okay. Thanks for the reminder. Yeah. You know, that was, that was important to have that. Yes. That I was going to ask you about that. Like the, the, you equate bombing to being wrong because you're, you have a, a preconceived notion of how. Oh, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, sometimes, you know, cause like, you know, bombs are different. Like, um, I'm not somebody who, who subscribes to like the, the philosophy that it's, it's never the audience's fault. I think it's usually the comedian's fault, but every once in a while you do get some, like, just, just a bad audience. Yeah. You know, there's people who like, don't want to be there. Yeah. Um, so like stuff like that, you know, that's, that's less like that, if anything makes me feel more right. I'm like, those people just didn't know. They just didn't know what they were doing. Yeah. But yeah, I mean like, yeah, being like bombing. Yeah, it definitely feels like I did something. Well, I, I mean, it, it means and feels like I did something wrong. You yeah. know, like that is like, that's like the a direct manifestation of, hey, you were wrong. Whatever you did up there, that was wrong. Yeah. The right thing. And so, 
don't know. I mean, honestly, comedy, especially as I get deeper into it and, and I, um, you know, uh, get better. Honestly, I mean, really, it just helps me with, with that kind of stuff with like ego checking. It's, it's, it's actually, uh, I mean, versus theater for sure. Like, uh, the, the cycle is nice. I feel like, you know, you like rise for a while, you're like killing it for a while. And then you, you take a hit just inevitably, you're going to take some sort of hit, even when you're big and famous, you know, like in, in some respect, you, you're going to take some sort of hit and get knocked down a peg. And, um, I mean, for someone like me with like my, my issues, like that's super important. Yeah. It's super important for me to fail. I agree. I think it's, it's important for everyone to fail. That's why it's like, I, I prescribed to something that if you're really struggling with your confidence and stuff, go up last at open mics because that is the best way to work on your confidence. Just to sit there in an empty room yeah, and just kind of work it out and not have to worry about everything that's happening. You don't have to worry about getting last or anything. You're just going up there and saying it over and over. I felt like that was what really, I guess, took me from, a good writer and not good performer to a good writer and a good performer. And then from there it just evolved because I was just, I was, I'm not shakable. You can't shake me if I'm in a full mm-hmm. room when there's silence because anybody that just goes up in a full showroom and then nothing happens when they respecting a laugh, they're shook. And now they're all the sudden yeah. they start to backpedal and try to, try to roll out some other material and stuff that they weren't planning to do to try to get back on track. And then, and then it just snowballs. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. You put on this, you're, you're put on this aura that you're, you're nervous and scared. And all of a sudden now the audience is going to reflect that they're nervous and scared because the person they're looking to, to lead them is now shaken. And so it's, yeah, it just, bec- well, you're, it's, it, that's an interesting way to put it. The person to lead them. Cause like when you're, when you have a microphone on a stage, like, um, kind of like, it's, it's like the way people are conditioned. You do have some of the same like powers that like, uh, like a preacher would have or like a pastor would have, you know, like at least for a little bit. Yes. Like people are listening to you and you do kind of have that control of them. So, um, you know, if you just, if you go up there and like, and it's quiet and you're like chill with it, like I've been here before the audience is, they're not going to even, they might not even notice it. Yeah. You know, whereas if you, you know, I see last night I saw people saying, Oh, you didn't like that one. Yeah. Oh, was that too blank for you? It's like, no dude, it just wasn't funny. And yeah. you're revealing, you're revealing uh, your, your practice habits to, to the comedians in the back right now. Yeah. Well, I thank you for doing this. Jeffrey. Yeah. This has been an awesome conversation. So you got some. Oh, my pleasure, man. This should come out before your shows. So when are you going to be featuring at Hyenas? Oh, I'm going to be featuring at a Hyenas Fort Worth. Uh, oh, let me look at my calendar. I think I know the dates off the top of my head, but I don't want to confuse anybody. Um, yeah, December second through fourth. Okay. And then I'll also be back featuring on December 9th. So I got four, four oh. days of, of awesome. uh, raucous laughs at Hyenas coming up. I'm trying to think if that's Jenny Zagrino or Ben Glebe on the Fort Worth. Um, I think Ben is at is at, is in the is at Dallas. Okay, so. So it's probably Jenny then. Oh, that's cool. I would think it's. When Jenny I got Zagrino. it. There wasn't anybody listed. Okay. but maybe I'm maybe I'm thinking yeah. of I'm thinking of it, but I 
I can't be sure. I know Jenny got put on the calendar recently, but it could be with Jenny okay. Sabrina, who's super awesome. Uh, yeah, that'd be tight. We could be wrong. And then uh, I also have a. Oh, go ahead. As if we are wrong, I'll correct it in the preamble and postamble of who is actually going to be whatever. there. Yeah. Edit. Leave it out. <laughs> I'll just yeah. dub it in. <laughs> yeah. And then I've, uh, I've got a, a show I do with my roommate I mentioned earlier. It's uh, at Very Serious Club on all platforms. Um, it is, uh, it looks like a podcast, but it's, it's a fake podcast. We just do like 15 second clips from a podcast that doesn't exist. That's awesome. Um, we have a video about, uh, Nicki Minaj that's really upsetting people right now. So, um, check that out on Instagram at very serious club. If, um, if you don't have the time for a real podcast, um, after this and you just want some 15 second, uh, fake podcast. Awesome. We'll definitely check that out. Uh, where can people find you if they want to follow you on social media? And uh, my handle is uh, at Jeff Eggs on everything G E O F F Eggs, um, and I post like stand up clips, crowd work stuff, music stuff. Um, not super often. The very serious we post every day, uh, but I post like something maybe once a month. Well, awesome! But it's a you're doing amazing work. Can't wait to see your feature weekend here in Fort Worth. I look forward to seeing you again here in town when you're back. Uh, talk to you soon. Yeah, man, I'll see you soon, Ryan. So that was Jeffrey. I really relate to his fear about being wrong because I was bullied a lot as a kid and not really well-liked, so you tend to play to your strengths. Mine was being weird. Jeffrey's was being passionate about being correct and so it's a very very relatable fear of just being having feeling that something's maybe being taken away from you i totally relate to that check out jeffrey he's an amazing comic uh, he was just at fort worth this weekend uh, with renee garcia next week he'll be at the 325 show in dallas on the 9th you can go check that out at hyenascomedynightclub.com Follow Jeffrey Eggleston on social media. I'll have the links for that in the show notes. As for myself, I just got back from driving from all the way from Odessa, so I'm a little frazzled. Um, I got I left about nine in the morning. I drove to Odessa the night day before, so my Friday was and Saturday were mostly spent on I twenty. Going back and forth. I had a great show with James Johan at the Odessa Country Club, as well as the uh, Hotel Bar, where we performed as well. Sold a couple of shirts. It was a fun night. Thanks again to J.C. Faust for, for booking me on that. And perhaps maybe one of these times I'll have him on the podcast, but he's also a big police person and Odessa, so he's got a really busy schedule. Other shows I've got coming up. Uh, next week, the 11th, I'll be at the Brazos Theater in Waco, Texas, performing. And then it might just be the rest of the year for me. Um, the last two weeks of the year, I'll just take off. It's been a great year in comedy for me. Super excited. I've done more work in comedy than I ever have, and... It's been nice. I, I really enjoyed it, and I'm hoping to add a few more to the rotation in the coming years. Just having 
fun doing stand-up and all kinds of stuff. You can catch me in January, the first weekend of January the 2nd and 6th, and Looney Bend, Wichita with Damon Harris. And I will also be with Damon Harris in Oklahoma City the following weekend, the 12th and 16th. You can get those at looneybend.com. It'll be fun shows. Uh, after that, I will be at Hyenas in Fort Worth with Rob Little. Come check out those shows. I should be recording those for a potential comedy album. More to come on that as Travis Wright has agreed to be available and there to record my sets that weekend. That'll be a fun time. I look forward to doing that and kind of getting prepared to do so. So it should be a really, really exciting month of January for me and then hopefully more dates to follow. As for guests, I've got more comics coming up. I've kind of haven't asked a lot of other people to be on the podcast just because the holiday season, I didn't want to interrupt too much family time and kind of take away from that. And so I've ta- I've gotten enough episodes to get me through the holidays. And then after that, I'll start asking again, probably in mid-January, you know, to, to start scheduling people to interview as well as maybe get a couple of comics at the Low-Key Tavern to kind of fill the time. If you'd like to be a guest, email me at somefearfans at gmail.com, and we can discuss it. I will kind of put some feelers out there for certain people. I've gotten a few comics. Got a podcaster as well, still in the can. A couple of podcasters, actually. So... Listen for those. Those will be coming out here in the coming weeks. I wish you guys a happy holidays. I I know some of Hanukkah has already started, so mazel tov for, for those. And thanks again for listening. If you like what you hear, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again for listening to the Some of All Fears podcast. And now some thank yous for the folks that make this show possible. Thanks to Barry Whitewater for my art and graphics. You can follow him on Instagram at bwhiteh2o. Get it? H2O, like water. You can also follow him on Facebook. Music. A huge thank you to Gunnar Olson for the wonderful music provided for this podcast. You can follow him on Instagram at gunbuns, that's G-U-N-B-U-N-S, as well as his website, gunnarolson.net. Check out some of the samples that he has recorded. They're amazing. He's an amazing percussionist. If you want to follow the show, we've got a Facebook group, Some of All Fears. Instagram, Twitter, you can find us at Some Fear Fans. If you have some feedback for the show, email me at somefearfans, S-O-M-E-F-E-A-R-F-A-N-S, at gmail.com. I'll be happy to, to take those into consideration. Also, if you'd like to be a guest, email me at somefearfans at gmail.com. We can try to iron out some details and get that settled in. You know, give us some feedback if on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a review. It makes the show bigger, and it's not going anywhere. I'm going to record as many shows as I possibly can. If you want to follow me, 
on social media. I am at Ryan Perio. It's R-Y-A-N-P-E-R-R-I-O on all social media platforms. You can follow me there. And you can check me out at ryanperio.com, my website. I'll try to list upcoming shows there as well. It's been kind of spotty because as soon as I set it up, that's when the pandemic happened. And everything's kind of just in a, in a holding pattern. Thanks again for listening to the Sum of All Fears podcast. Next week, we'll have another guest with another fear. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.